This is our main speaker for the evening, Scott G. from Lakeside. My name is Scott. I'm an alcoholic. I want to say thank you to Thelma. So now I can just say, yeah, that's, that's what you do right there. And I can be done. But uh, unfortunately, we're talking about two of my favorite subjects, alcoholism and me. So... Um, Welcome to the newcomers, so hopefully something I say tonight will keep me sober. Um, I woke up this morning, and it's kind of trippy being able to speak on my fifth birthday. Um, so Brian, I don't see him. Thanks a lot, Brian, who got me. To, there he is. So I was sitting there at uh, my home group, which is Santee Men's. We meet on Wednesday nights, and I was talking to Brian. He was like, I got this new commitment, and you know, i got to find speakers. I'm like, well, let me know. I know a bunch of guys. You know, and he's like, well, you know, do you want to speak? And I'm like, yeah. I go, he goes, when do you have five years? I said, November 24th. He goes, good, I need you November 24th. <laughs> Great. Um, my daughter asked me, I've got my youngest daughter's 13. She asked me, do I ever get nervous when I speak? Um, and if I said I, I didn't get nervous, I'd be lying to you. But the fact is, I remember coming to, I was maybe a day sober, and they took us in the druggy buggy from... <laughs> from Scripps Rehab to La Jolla Speakers. And I remember getting there, and I'm still shaking and baking, and I'm like, what is this? We're in La Jolla. I'm from Lakeside. This isn't working out. Don't you know they don't let me pass the five? Okay, the 125, let's be real. Um, so we're sitting there, and they have, you know, it's like 400 seats, and they're like candy on the seats. I'm like, they put candy out for me. <laughs> Sweet. I start grabbing candy, and I'm popping candy as I'm sitting there. And some guy, like, stands over me. He's looking at me, and I'm like, can I help you? He's like, well, that's my seat. I'm like, I don't know. He goes, well, there's candy on it. I'm like, my bad. <laughs> but I stayed sober long enough that round to be able to actually make an amends. And that one of my amends was actually going out there and putting candy on seats for people that I didn't even like. <laughs> um... What I'm grateful for is I woke up this morning and the first thought I had wasn't like I've got to reach my hand under the mattress to get this bag of stuff to hide and get to the bathroom just to be okay to breathe before she gets out of bed. And that'll get me to the garage where I have the bottle of Jameson hid and I can get just right for Christmas morning. That's, that's where my alcoholism took me. You know, not the fact that I've got uh, a beautiful wife. I've got a really cool first wife. Um, I was told I don't get to call her ex-wife anymore because that's not polite. Bullshit. Um, but it's amazing. I have five beautiful children. I've got some guys and some gals in this audience that know part of my story. And I'm really appreciative because um, I could pick the phone up at any time and... You guys know who I'm talking about. I know that if I called you up at 2 in the morning, you'd be like, what does this crazy redneck from Lakeside want? And if I said I needed you, you'd be there. You know, um, I had that with a couple friends growing up, but I didn't, ha I didn't have that. I didn't that what I have today is amazing. Um, I woke up this morning, and I thought about where I was just five years ago. Just five years ago on November 23rd, I woke up that morning and um, I had about a year and a half in Alcoholics Anonymous, pretty active. My first home group was Solana Beach Men's, amazing group of guys up in Solana Beach. 
didn't realize that when they said you go to any length for your sobriety that I would be driving that far every Monday night and putting on a collared shirt and slacks just to greet for about 80 guys. I didn't get that. I didn't understand that. Um, But I was also told that I'm going to show respect for something that saved my life. Because this isn't my normal attire. Don't let this fool you. This is really overdressed slash high-end interview. Um, And then funeral. That's, I wear, I'll, I'll just change the tie. Um, I like to wear dicky shorts, flip-flops, t-shirt, and a ball cap. But I'm going to show respect for something that saved my life. Alcoholics Anonymous and God literally has not just saved my life, but it's, it's really enhanced my family's life also. Um, I got to reflect on November 23rd of 2013. I woke up that morning. I was already in a wicked relapse um, for a few months. Had a knee surgery. I was in a lot of pain. Um, and I know this is Alcoholics Anonymous. Booze is my primary, but when I can't find booze, I'll take anything. Um, so I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm abusing a prescription bottle. It says, you know, it says take one every four to six hours. I think that means crush the snort as much as possible and mixing it with, <laughs> with cocaine. It's not what it said, by the way. And so the wife has ideas. She knows I'm already off the rails again. My guys in my home group can probably see it in my eyes. Sponsor, uh, he probably knew. Um, and all I heard, I remember hearing from some gentleman at some meeting somewhere going, if you hadn't drank, you hadn't relapsed. So what I needed to do was go drive to the liquor store and get a bottle of Jameson, go to Mass Park and start drinking the way I like to drink. And that's what I did. Drove my Jeep out there, Saturday afternoon, nice and sunny, uh, I start drinking, and I like do all kinds of other stuff, and somehow, my little sister, she's like a ninja, she found me, and this is before like Life360 or anything like that, there was like, I didn't have an iPhone, so it wasn't find your iPhone or find your drunk brother, um, <laughs> million dollar app right there, use that, um, find my drunk, yeah, that's a good one, find my drunk, uh, I'm taking credit for that one, um, but I'm sitting there, and all through my head is, AA doesn't work. This is crap. You guys are full of it. I knew it wouldn't work for a redneck from Lakeside. I showed you guys it wouldn't work. And all of a sudden, my little sister pulls up. That's a little bit of ruins my buzz, just a little bit. And she comes out with it. well, you know you've been kicked out again. Durr. Um, well, making it sound really just like I just took out of the house. So that morning I woke up and I, I gloss over the part where the wife found the stash and then, but she didn't find the big stash. She found a little stash. So the big stash was still in the Jeep and then there was a big blowout and I don't care. And I'm yelling at you, you're yelling at me. That's what ensued me going to the, get the liquor store and get the bottle because I like to skip over stuff that makes me look bad. Hmm. Oh, you guys were late. Um, so I'm there and she's like, you've been kicked out. You're gone. Once again, I got you a bag. You're coming to our house. I'm looking. I still got a little bit of Jameson left. She doesn't know about the other stuff. I'm thinking, mm, not yet. And but I also know that I'm dead inside and I'm done. The gig's up. I have no. I have nothing else to do. I got nothing. I got no fight left. No fight left. Um, so she takes the bottle, pours out the rest. She found the stash, and then I go to crawl in my jeep, and she's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm going to drive." She's like, "Really?" I don't want anybody getting in my Jeep. Well, I don't leave it here. These crazy drunk people might steal it. 
So we leave the Jeep, and she's like, one condition, you come to the house, call your sponsor. Oh, come on. I don't want to call him. He's all responsible. Like, no. So what do I do? I call the sponsor, and he's here tonight, so I'm going to try to remember how I perceived how it went. Um, <laughs> what I heard. So I called him, and it was something like that. It was... But I, what I thought says, John, I'm drunk. This is what happened. Blah blah blah. Really, really like intellectual big words like the. And I remember like John laughing at me. No, he didn't. Um, but I remember like in my head he was okay. Great, I'm I'm going to be there in about an hour to pick you up because you've got keys to a church, that La Jolla church, <laughs> and you make coffee for 200 people tonight. It's not about you. Now, it may have been different than the way he said it. I don't remember. I was a little drunk and a little high. Um, But my first thought was, I don't have a collared shirt. (laughs) I can't go to that meeting. So don't worry about it. We'll take care of it for you. So another friend of his, another friend of the program, uh, they rounded up a collared shirt. Here's a picture for you. That's probably about 30 pounds lighter. Um, Dicky shorts, flip-flops, ball cap, and a collared shirt. (laughs) Rolling up the La Jolla speakers. And I don't remember making coffee, but I'm sure those guys made coffee for me. And I thought for sure, I was, at this point I was mortified because I knew for a fact that when they asked for newcomers, I was going to be the first guy kicked out of AA, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> if they haven't kicked any of the guys that I know out so far or me, guys, you're all safe. <laughs> um, but when they asked, are there any newcomers in their first 30 days? And I stood up and I said, my name is Scott, I'm an alcoholic and I don't know what to do. I thought for sure that, aha, grab a neck from Lakeside, we knew you'd drink. We knew you couldn't, you couldn't hack it in La Jolla. What happened was, my first sponsor was there, and some guys around me said, Scott, how can we help? And that was the first time that I didn't feel alone. That's the really first time I really felt hope. Because you know, prior to that, the sobriety prior to that, um, I did a lot of stuff, and I did it for the family. I did it for you. I did it for the parents, all stuff. And I thought I was doing it for me. Um, but what I was doing was just doing the song and dance on the outside, you know. And from it wasn't right away, you know. I got I get reminded that I was actually almost fired as a sponsee. Can you believe that? Firing this? Come on, really? But it took a few months. It took some time for me to actually I mean, look look at Scott in the mirror again, you know. Uh, I was like the guy who just looked at his shoes and shoelaces, you know, not even gonna make eye contact. But when I got that chance. Um, that thing that I had left off, that first four-step, that thing that I thought for sure when I told the sponsor, when it left my lips, he was going to call the cops. He's definitely going to call the wife, and I was going to go to prison. I can tell you what happened. When I told him that thing, which I still wrote on the back of the paper, and I wasn't going to say it, when he asked me if there was anything else, I remember going, I turned the page, and I told him that thing, guess what happened? Absolutely nothing. But what he told me was, I don't have to carry that burden alone anymore. I no longer have to carry that secret alone. And that's that thing that I, that experience, that deep, dark secret has been able to help other men in the program since then. You know, and I used to always joke around being um, a guy from Lakeside, you know, like I'm already predisposed to be an alcoholic. Scottish, Irish, and Catholic. Doesn't make me alcoholic from Lakeside. Doesn't make me alcoholic, but doesn't hurt. 
I can show you a picture of my grandfather holding me at six months old with a quart of Budweiser. That doesn't make me alcoholic. That's just bad grandparenting. <laughs> you know, from a young age, I, I equated everything, happiness, sadness, craziness, all of that, all around alcohol. All the men in my family, I saw that they drank. I don't know. I'm a little older than some and younger than some in here. Um, Lucky Lager. So if you know on Lucky Lager on the bottle caps, there's a riddle. I knew them all by the time I was six years old. Because if you knew the riddle, you got to drink a beer. You got to sip. Now, I don't know if I was alcoholic from the first time I drank beer. I don't. I mean, the first time drinking beer that I was told about is my dad coming home from work, cracking up a Budweiser, putting it down, him going in the shower, me grabbing the Budweiser and pugging it and running. That's a three-year-old that's not supervised. I'm a 45-year-old that needs to be supervised today, by the way. That doesn't make me alcoholic. All those things that I described to you does not make me alcoholic. What makes me alcoholic is in that big book. When I start to drink, I can't safely tell you that I'm I've never had one or two. Let's just get that out of the way right now. If I'm going to have a few drinks and some shots, or if I'm going to have a few drinks and some shots, I'm going to end up naked strapped to the bed in the ER again. Because that's I just can't tell you. I just can't tell you which way it's going to go and how it's going to end up for me or how it's going to end up for you. Um, growing up in Lakeside, I grew up in that, a really close um, functional, dysfunctional family. Uh, being raised Catholic, I mean, Thelma, thank you. That was amazing. I would go to church on Sundays, and I would, you know, you confess your sins and do all that stuff. And then, but I always knew by the time I was ten years old, I was going to hell for the things I was doing, let alone for the things I was thinking. So, all right. Then I noticed that like the guys wouldn't always go to church, and then why don't they go to church? Well, they don't have to go. And the women went to church and prayed for the guys, and I'm like, wow, this is some really confusing crap. Uh, but I had a, what I had, my idea of God then was a fear-based God. Don't let me get caught, God. And if you caught me, I'm my bad, God, but it was definitely Chad's fault. <laughs> um, so growing up, that's, I, I remember, you know, it was like Friday, Thursday night through Sunday was family, family, family. Barbecues, vacations. I didn't know we were poor. I just thought we did everything as a really big family. Like we went everywhere, like all the aunts and uncles and grandma and grandpa River, desert, vacations, everywhere, just as a huge group. I didn't know that we didn't have a ton of money, you know, but I know there was always money for beer. There was always enough money for beer. And I found out later on a lot of other stuff that they did um, that I like to do eventually, too. Um, you know, I'm 17 years old, and I'm completely doing everything opposite of what my parents tell me to do. Uh, my parents had me really young. My mom was 15 and a half, and my dad was 17, and, you know, don't do that, you know, don't have a kid early and all this. And so, okay, okay, and 17, what do I do? I have my first kid because that's what I like to do. Um, and I was responsible. I was told if, you know, you're having a kid, you've got to marry that woman. Well, I married her when Stephanie was three. We eventually got married. Um, but I remember it's Lakeside. I'm 17. I have my kid. That's the problem. Lakeside is the problem. I don't think anybody here would disagree with me on that one. Um <laughs> Do not co-sign my bullshit. <laughs> um, but then so I'm thinking, okay, and so we go and move to Tennessee. We move to Tennessee, and her family's there, and I've got some distant family somewhere in the hills making moonshine, I think. And we get back there, and Tennessee was amazing. 
some great people. Remind me a lot of Lakeside for some reason. Um, but unfortunately, guess who showed up to Tennessee also? I did. And it takes a little bit of time, but I start to find guys that I like to hang out with, and they drink stuff that's moonshine, and you have to light it on fire first to make sure it doesn't burn green because you'll go blind. Drink the blue flame. You didn't know you learned something tonight, huh? I'm like, I gotta wor- I have to worry about what color the flame is before I drink this crap? I can tell you right now, I didn't check it with the flame. Oh, I'm not blind. Um, but I started to hang out with these guys and the construction guys, and we're doing all kinds of other stuff. And, but I remember why I can't drink is like I like to drink, the distances I like to go with drinking. And I moved back there only knowing a few people's phone numbers. And this is before the great cell phone era we have where I can just say, hey, Siri, call dad and get me out of jail or something. Um, I remember my parents' phone number, my grandparents' phone number, and the Connect's phone number. You can better believe I didn't call the grandparents or the parents for this one. And I thought it would be a good idea to have some stuff FedExed out to me. Late 80s, early 90s, we'd get away with it back then, believe it or not. Not caring that I have a three-year-old daughter. Not caring that, actually she wasn't even three yet. I don't care, like, I need to get what I need to get. And if you get in the way of that, that's your fault. But if you ask me, I would do anything for my daughter. I would do anything for my wife, my family. And I probably meant that, but I also meant that I need to get what I need to get no matter what. So just don't get in the way of that. So things start happening and hanging out with literally hillbillies. Um, And I'm knowing that it's going nowhere fast. And um, I had the inclination I was going to join the military, come from a military family. So I joined the Navy. And I know that the United States Navy is going to take care of that other problem. But I won't drink as much in the Navy. I'm supervised. That's so wrong. <laughs> so I joined the Navy. I go to boot camp in A school in Great Lakes, Illinois in January. Like I told you I'm from Lakeside. It was like negative 24 degrees. I show up to boot camp. They gave us a little chit to fly with. And I remember landing, and I had so much money left to get something to eat. And the first thing, everybody is we're waiting like five hours for the van to get there to take us to boot camp. And I go up to the guy. I'm like, can I, can I get booze with this? So like, yeah, you can get anything you want. So what do I do? I rally up some other guys to drink with me. <laughs> I went to boot camp. I thought, I'm not going to be able to drink for a few weeks. Get hammered. Just hammered drunk. And I show up to boot camp, and uh, I have this little E2 yelling at me. I'm on E2. I'm not even through boot camp yet. I'm laughing and yelling at him. Hammer, don't yell at me, freaking E2. And this master chief, which I was not yet, and never did make it to master chief, pulls me aside and goes, I need to talk to you, son. Before I even get into boot camp, <laughs> pulls me aside and goes, do you have a drinking problem? And I answer straight as I, I no, I don't, I just, I'm just getting drunk one more time before boot camp. And all that, and he goes, well, you got to take a breathalyzer. I felt that breath. First thing I felt in boot camp was that first day. <laughs> Many more things followed. First day, boot camp, felt the breathalyzer, and this guy put his neck on the line for me because he actually knew my grandfather. That last name got me out of a lot of trouble in the military. And I remember thinking there was like that little thought, like, holy crap, you might have a problem. And then people were yelling at you in boot camp, and you forget about all that crap. So I graduate second in my class. When I, mention, I, when I try really hard, I excel at some crap. I do just enough to pull down the structure back on top of me. 
You know, and so and I'll do just enough for you to look the other way, like when I pee in your laundry basket or <laughs> sleep with your sister and some stupid things. But I'll help you move your fridge. I'll help you work on your car. I'll be that guy that's there to help you. And you'll look the other way for those other horrific things that I do. So I graduated second in that class, and they said, you can be stationed anywhere you want. I said, I would like to go anywhere but San Diego. I asked for Japan. I asked for Bremerton. I asked for Norfolk. I asked for anywhere but here. So everybody knows where I got stationed. San Diego. San Diego. Um, I will not say the translation. Um, So I get to San Diego, and I get here, and I'm from San Diego, born and raised. Well, East County. And everybody's like, oh, man, aren't you excited? Aren't you from here? I'm like, yeah, woo. (laughs) And literally, my job, while we're in port, they gave me one of the white vans, a driver, and I would get guys back and forth from Mexico because I'm from San Diego. What I heard was, Scott, you got a driver. You get to drink. (laughs) Scott gets to drink, and he has a driver. That's kind of sweet. That was my job. I turned 21 in the Navy. We, we closed every bar in East County. When I say East County, guys, I mean like Santee, Lakeside, and El Cajon. Okay, let's, let's not like La Mesa. That's high class for me. The last thing I remember is lighting the bar on, far, bar on fire at George's and then eating a chorizo burrito. Both things, not a good idea. Somehow I wake up in my tidy whities because there were no cool boxer briefs yet. There's your visual. Um, on my dad's living room floor, and there's just puke, chorizo burrito around this. And my dad, familiar sight, remembering as a kid, dad kicking me, get up, you got work. Get up, you got to mow the lawn. Get up, quit throwing up everywhere. And I'm like, yeah, I can't do that. He's like, what? Yeah, I'm, I'm too hungry. I'm, hurt. I'm hurting. I'm just not going to go in today. It's the United States Navy. You're not supposed to. You're not, don't really not supposed to call in sick. So I, I call my LPO, my leading petty officer. I call him up. Hey, 21st birthday. I'm really hungover. I'm not going to make it in. He goes, correct me if I'm wrong, petty officer. Great. You're calling in sick. Yeah. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Because like I said, when I'm there, I do... Excel, work my ass off. I'm, I'm going to be that guy. And I paid for it for the next week. They put me on loan over to the boiler techs where I got to sweat a lot, changing out insulation and piping. And oh, God, it was miserable. All that stuff. You know, I got to see the world. Thank God some people took pictures. I, you know, um, I'm pretty sure to this date. And then the other thing, they stationed me on that ship with three buddies I went to high school with. The United States Navy did not think that through. Four guys from Lakeside. Running amok in Perth, Australia. Pretty sure to this date, none of us can ever go back to Perth, Australia. Um, but I, every port we hit. And this time now, the drinking is getting to the part where it's not that I, I, I don't want, it's not that I, you know, am I going to just have a few drinks or... I know that I'm going to drink no matter what now. And that's my early 20s. I know that I've got enough connections on the ship where there's bottles hidden, so I don't have to worry about it. We were at sea for so long, 96 days straight, there's two beer days. And they gave you two little tickets. Those aren't what we got the tickets for tonight, guys. (laughs) Um, 
you would get a, you would get two beers. And I remember selling my tickets because I knew guys that had hard liquor. And I'd, even then, I looked back. I didn't. Th- I, I knew that something was going on, but I just I just thought because I just I, I like to relax. I like to drink, and my drinking's already out of control, and I can't stop. Um, I get out of the Navy, not of my own accord. The Navy said, we think you should probably not re-enlist. You should probably get out. <laughs> I think it's a good idea. I think it's good for us to part ways. Um, I get divorced. Um, I, before Alcoholics Anonymous, I would tell you it's all because she, she cheated. She did this. It's all her fault. How dare you do that to me while I'm out serving our country, being so unfaithful in other countries. But it doesn't count. You're in another country. Um, <laughs> But I would, tell you, I would tell you it's all her fault before I got sober. It was all her fault. And today I have a part in everything, which really sucks. I got out and um, got employed with a pretty good company here in San Diego. Um, and I started working really hard there. And I come to find out those guys like to drink. Every day we drank on the cruise. Um, we worked around some pretty crazy stuff where when we're at work, we're focused, we're really, I mean, just being the guy stuff, I was just, I was in my element, I loved it. And I was told that I didn't ask another woman to marry me, I took her hostage, this is what I did. Um, uh, we knew each other since we were 14 years old, we grew up in the same group of friends, um, we were married and divorced, obviously, to other people, um, and I remember, like, our kids, you know, my first two, then her two boys, always would hang out when they were here, um, and I said, hey, we should go out sometime. And she's like, well, why? Oh, <laughs> well, duh. Um, you know, and, and I was like, well, we should, you know, we're, you know, she's like, well, why? I'm like, come on. So she made me work for it for a little while. And I'm really thankful for that woman today. 20 years we've been together. We've been married for 15 years. Um, that's because of her. <laughs> and a little bit of work on my part for the last five years. Um, but I remember uh, getting promotions in that company, you know, almost losing that job um, due to drinking. You know, it just would be, I would always be drinking with guys that would drink the way I drank, and then they would stop. I just didn't get that. I thought everybody was supposed to black out. I thought you were supposed to wake up with, like, not remembering how much of an idiot you made of yourself. I thought that was just normal. You know, waking up going, oh, all right, what did I do? Well, she would normally tell me instantly what I did. Um, we fast forward to, how much time do I got? I will literally speak all night. Um, okay. Um, I think it was right around 2010. So two good stories, and then we're going to get to some recovery. Um, around 2008, 2009, I live in a neighborhood where everybody... All the neighbors get together, we all decorate for holidays, we barbecue, we fire pit, and we drink. I drink a lot. Um, so it's Halloween, and I have little kids, and like our neighborhood really off the hook for Halloween, too. And the wife was, you know, you know please, don't, please don't get too hammered. You know, please don't get too hammered. <laughs> right, right. Well, that night, I, um, I got really hammered, and then I mixed up some stuff that um, it's called Xanax. Um, and... <laughs> I don't remember a lot, but what I remember is like coming to my bed and my buddy going, just stay passed out. (laughs) Okay. 
in, back out. And I wake up the next morning, and the house is quiet. That's bad. So my boys were little, and they were freaking heathens, and they're loud. And I'm like, oh, this isn't good. So I go downstairs. I got cut-off shorts on, a tank top, and I find the, the $5 bag of Albertson's cookies because I'm hungry. And I find the bottle of Jameson that I hid in the garage. And I sit down in the chair in the living room, and I start eating Albertson's chocolate chip cookies and drinking Jameson. I have a headache. And all of a sudden I hear, Mr. Gray, please open your front door. I'm like, Mr. Gray, they must be looking for my dad. <laughs> this kid, this, nah. Mr. Gray, we're coming in. I'm like, I probably should stand up. Answer the door. And there's like ATF and sheriffs. And I'm like, wow, what did I do? <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I, I failed to mention too, being from Lakeside, up to this point, <laughs> up to this point, I had never been arrested, never got a DUI. Uh, never lost a job due to alcoholism. I used to get in cuffs a lot when I was younger for detained for fighting. I don't like to qualify that. But up to this day, this this was pretty bad. And I knew this isn't good. And they said, uh, can we come in? And I was in my head thinking, can I say no? <laughs> they came in. And then more came from the garage door. <laughs> and then I see my wife come in, kind of shielded by some big dudes. And she's crying. And I had that pit in my stomach going, God, please tell me I didn't hit her. Because I may look big and tough. I'm a freaking teddy. I, I don't know if I could have recovered from that. And they said, you made some uh, comments last night. I make comments all the time. Even when I'm sober, I say some stupid shit. <laughs> Ask the guys around me. Um, they're like, well, you made some threats. And you have fire. Do you have firearms? Well, you're... They're not at my door because I'm here to sell some Girl Scout cookies, obviously. I said, uh, yeah, I have firearms. They're like, all right, well, we could do this one of two ways. You can relinquish your firearms to a family member or we can take them from you. Uh, I don't want you taking my guns. So I sat there for a second looking at my phone going, I have to call my dad. And I have to tell my dad, hey, dad, can you come by the house? Yeah, uh, there's, there's some agents here, and I'm in a little bit of trouble. Um, would you mind taking my guns for me for a while? That right there. That wasn't enough for me to stop. Uh, what happened that day, and I'm actually still friends with this one ATF agent. The guy is amazing. Um, Travis is an amazing guy. So we get in the car, and he puts me in the back, and he goes, I'm not going to cuff you. And I don't know, that, in back of that car, I mean, I'm a big guy, and that just, I'm, I'm scared, and I'm crying. And I'm like, where are we going? And he goes, well, we can, go to, we can go to jail, or we can go to the hospital. Where do you want to go? I would like to go to the hospital, please. <laughs> like I said, I'm big and tough, but I, it's, it's, I know how many guys it's going to take. And so we go to the hospital, we go to Grossmont, and I'm just crying, I'm bawling, and I'm, I'm humiliated, and I'm still in the same pair of cut-off shorts and a T-shirt, and it's not a good morning. And did I mention it was my son's birthday also? Um, <laughs> and he gets out of the car and leaves me in the car, and my thought is, how do I get out of this car and run? Well, those back doors don't open. He comes back, and he goes, come on. And what that man did for me, 
he took me through the back door, the back entrance for the hospital, and sat with me in this room, and he goes, it's going to be better from here on out. And he sat there with me until the doctor got there, and then nice little, my first three-day stand at Mesa Vista, and got to see what crazy really looked like, and still had to write a resentment about them stealing my sunglasses. But what that guy did for me, because um, he didn't have to be that nice. He didn't. He could have just took me away, put me to jail, and convict all this. Could have just prosecuted, and they didn't do that. Oh, think right there. With that right there, should be enough. It's not. You know, I did it again. You know, in 2012, I went to rehab. Uh, April 27, 2012, I went to Scripps uh, McDonald Center, and I was 38 years old. I didn't know what to do anymore. I ran out of ideas. I went to that treatment center. I went in there, and I was the oldest guy at 38 years old. And you know what they did for me for 28 days? Hammered and spoon-fed and jammed down steps one, two, three, and Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what they did. Thank God for great insurance because if, I didn't, if my wife didn't have great insurance, I would have had to pay $17,000 for a big book and a sponsor I did not like. <laughs> Not my current sponsor, but what, what that sponsor did for me and what the men in my life and women in my life continue to do today, they show me. The guys that came before me, they didn't just come get what they need and left. They came and got what they needed, and they stayed and continued to do what I'm doing right now. I surround myself with guys, you know, and when I got out of treatment, I was scared. I was scared. I was 38 years old, and I remember sitting there and... The sponsor going, you're getting out of treatment next week. What are you going to do? 28 days, I'm getting out of treatment. I'm going to go spend some time with the wife. Boy, I was really out there still. He goes, great. Saturday, get a collared shirt, get a haircut, put slacks on. We're going to a meeting. Be ready to go at 5 o'clock. In my head, I'm like, yeah, right. We're not doing that. You know who was on the curb at 445 with a collared shirt and slacks and a haircut? This guy. And I followed that guy around like a puppy dog. And, you know, we met for step work every week. <sighs> so thankful for, for the guys that came before him and what he showed me. He said, I'm going to take you through the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous the way his sponsor took him through. We went in order, 1 through 12. He said, the only one you got to do perfect is step one. And trust me, every other one I've messed up multiple times. You know, and we met every week at a certain time. I was late for step work one time, and I remember going, oh, the kid's this and that and that. And he goes, Scott, for once in your life, why don't you take some accountability for your actions? It's your fault you're late for step work. Ah, a little harsh. (laughs) But he's exactly what I needed. I needed to hear that. I need to be accountable for my actions today. You know, and through the steps, on break, my, uh, my oldest daughter, which I had no relationship with when I got sober, I was on step nine the first time. And I'm sitting there and I'm making out an amends card. And I got my daughter's name, Stephanie. And I'm like, how do you make an amends for being a complete, utter, horrible father? And I'm sitting there, I'm writing it out. I don't know what to do. And I'm getting all scared. And my phone, it texts. My daughter texts me, Dad, I love you. And I don't know what to do and where to start. I text it back, sweetheart, I love you too. Now, I choose to believe that that's God. (laughs) Telling me, hey, here's a little bit of hope. Go do some more work. You know, every one, every one of these steps was something new for me. Um, I highly suggest, just from personal experience, if anybody here is on step four, do not leave anything out. 
I can't tell you that's why I drink again. I know why I drink again, because I failed to enlarge and grow my spiritual life. The relationship I have today, the only thing that keeps me sober, guys, is my relationship with God. Like you heard about, guys, it's not the God that I had growing up. The relationship I have with God is personal to me. But I know that that's the only thing that keeps me sober. i got some guys in this room I know would go to war with me if I needed it. I know for a fact. But they can't keep me sober. My home group, Santee Men's on Wednesday nights. Great group of guys. Hi, this Jesse. And the guys in this room, you guys want to go there, you're welcome. Those guys will not keep me sober. Awesome wife that stuck through me through thick and thin. Five beautiful children. i got a granddaughter that's five years old. She's never seen her grandpa take a drink. Amazing life today. That stuff will not keep me sober. It's really good motivation, though. The only thing that keeps me sober is my relationship with God. I like to be that pretty good today, you know. I started off talking about this morning when I woke up, and that person that was there five years ago, I don't recognize that person anymore. I don't recognize that hopelessness, you know, that despair. I don't wake up with that, the four horsemen, just sitting there going, which one's coming out first today? Because we're all four going to be there. But I don't have that today. You know, when, when someone asks me to do something, I get to do a lot of cool stuff today. You know, the guys that came before me showed me that if you're asked to do something, you better do it. You better have a good reason if you can't do it. You know, um, recently um, I've, gotten, I've, I've gotten the ability and the chance to, um, to really step up and be a part and help out my family. Uh, my father-in-law was diagnosed a few months ago with uh, pretty much terminal cancer. He's got about four months. Um, esophageal, stomach, and liver. And the cool thing is, um, as my wife has told me, is that um, she thinks that's why I got sober. She goes, you know, we always wonder why people get sober. I always say, no, what, why me? Why this crazy redneck from Lakeside? Why am I blessed with this? Why not somebody else, you know, that I thought deserved it so much more than me? And we always wonder why certain people get it and certain don't. I think it's because I surrendered. Because I hit that bottom that was sufficient enough to recover and be willing enough, just enough, to listen to what you guys had to say. And I'm sitting with my wife um, tonight before I left, and she's like, I, she's like, I'm so glad you're sober. I'm so glad you're able to do all this and be part of this and be there for my dad and be there for her, which I'm not going to lie. She's not in here tonight. She will hear this, and I'm still going to say, pain in my butt right now. <laughs> but I can imagine. I can't imagine the fear that she's going through. I can't imagine the fear that her mom's going through, that her dad's going through. You know, um, you know, I get to go over there, and I get to go, all right, let's do this, and pick them up in the shower, all this stuff, right? There's no way in hell that I could have done that. I would have probably stumbled through it and been drunk, probably really high and all that. And I get to do it, and I, I get to be there and, and help him keep his dignity. Help him, you know, through this process. And honest to God, my prayers in the morning now are, all right, God, um, please don't let me screw this up, or at least don't let me make it worse. You know, if you're new to Alcoholics Anonymous, there were some newcomers there tonight, 90 day, congratulations, guys, who took 90 days, that's huge. Um, if you're new, honest to God, I was told, guys, find a guy, girls, find a girl. That's how this stuff works, that's how I was told. And give your, you know, take these steps. Give yourself a year, a year. Because I think about that first, my first year of sobriety, and then I think about my first year of sobriety after I had relapsed, and it was completely different. You know, give yourself that year for, your, for that fog to clear and for, th- for brain synapses and all that stuff to rewire and start firing in the correct order again. 
Give yourself that year, you know. And for me, I don't know, uh, five years ago, I'd never thought, and not just up here speaking or whatever, I never thought I would have woke up and, um, and watched the sunrise today and just been, like, full of gratitude, you know. And that's all because of God, Alcoholics Anonymous, and you guys. Thanks.